In the timeless classic, The Lion King, we're presented with an allegory for what might be considered the hero's journey, spiritual individuation, or finding meaning and purpose set against the backdrop of suffering and tragedy. The story is personified in Simba, who struggles to find purpose after losing his father. When Simba is dejected after he believes he caused the death of his father, he falls into a pit of nihilism, guilt, and regret. He has no purpose or will to continue on with his life. This is the essential question that life poses to us, which many philosophers have tried to address. How do we exist in a world categorized by suffering? Moreover, how do we live with ourselves knowing that we are the cause of suffering? This is the problem that Simba and many of us grapple with. When Simba is at his worst and is about to be eaten by vultures, a metaphor for his spiritual, quote, death, Timon and Puba encounter him. When they find out he's not dead and is in fact sullen and downtrodden, they give him some water and try to help him. They ask Simba where he's going, to which he responds, nowhere. That is nihilism manifest. What happens when it feels like it's our mind and body that has turned its back on us, though? Where do we turn then? For that answer, you're going to have to listen to what this week's story has to say. So from Fragile Moments and Not Today Media, I'm your host, JD. And this is story number 54 of the What's Your Story podcast, Tara. My name is Tara, and I am currently in a program to become a recovery support specialist, which is a person basically who's like an advocate and basically an advocate and a supporter of a person with a mental illness uh, to another person that has a mental illness or and or substance use disorder. Tara suffered from treatment-resistant depression for over 10 years, trying over 50 different medications. But nothing worked. She was unable to function, but then discovered she had a folate deficiency and lack of serotonin to her brain. And so that's why the meds just would never work. Then her depression lifted almost completely. But within two weeks later, she was diagnosed with complex PTSD. She then started having a very rare trauma response known as tonic immobility, which is where the body becomes paralyzed and immobile. Tara realized this happened because of a trauma she had no awareness or memory of. This trauma was that she was violently sexually assaulted. And so Tara now spreads awareness on how trauma impacts the body and brain and does her best to show that life can be worth living even with a mental illness. Let's begin Tara's story. This is fascinating already because your story, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, no. it's like, you know, you hear addicts mm-hmm. helping other addicts, yeah. um, you know, yet untapped or, or yet ventured into. So, um. yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it basically was like only, you know, so RSS is recovery support specialists. They were only around in the beginning for like substance use. And they found out that like about three years ago, like it could be RSSs could be billed by insurance. And so then they started realizing that like they should have people that also have mental illness. And so they kind of expanded it. And with like the whole insurance piece, they started now they're uh, showing up all over the place. place. Um, 
Yeah. And so in my state, there's 11 schools that do this program. And so, yeah, so I got to be in one of So how did your, how did your story lead you to, to this point then? So it is literally one of the most like serendipitous full circle moments kind of story. So about, let's say in 2011, I was diagnosed with really severe debilitating depression. And I, over the years, started taking about 50 different medications. Just the trial and error process of taking them, them not even touching my depression and trying over and over and over and over again to get some type of relief. And it, I pretty much actually was like committed to wanting to get help for my depression right away because my depression really made me very like numb and hardly like able to talk and move. And it just stripped everything that made me me. Like I'm a very talkative, bubbly person. And I just was not any of those things with my depression. So, and I also, I knew like what life I wanted, you know, before my depression, like I knew who I was. And so it was kind of me always like anchoring back to that. And sometimes I would get glimpses where my depression would like lessen and it felt like kind of like a mirage. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm clinging into though. And so, yeah, so I started getting, started seeing a psychiatrist pretty much right away. And yeah, over the years, tried about 50 different ones over a 10 year long period. And it was so exhausting and tiring because as the years went by, I just became, my depression got more and more debilitating and more of more of who I was, was, you know, stripping away and stolen. And then also my life, you know, I literally went from, you know, well, I was a high school, I was a high school student when I was in 2011. So yeah. So like in high school, like I had Definitely a lot of like dreams and aspirations of like where my life would go and stuff like that. And it just, as the years went by, that became more and more impossible. Yeah. And about three years ago, my depression got so debilitating that I could not function. I basically spent years of my life staring down at the carpet on my floor, just laying on my couch. And I was essentially kind of catatonic. I, yeah, like I said, I could barely talk or barely move. And I was just like, get into this like lifeless stare and life just felt lifeless. And I didn't even feel alive even at that point. And, you know, I was still trying medications, but there was literally a point where I was changing medications probably weekly. Yeah. Like I would pick up some at the pharmacist and they'd be like, do you want, you know, like a monthly? I'm like, no, I'll probably be on this only for like a week. Yeah. So it just, but like, as my depression got like stronger, like basically my world live kind of got less and more lessened. Like I knew how much I wanted who I was back and like a life for myself because, you know, as like all that passed and me just staring at the floor, like so many like events and like dreams and all these things that I wanted for myself, I just became like, no, literally impossible. So, so yeah. So about three years ago, I was kind of just done with medication because I'm like, nothing's worked, like literally not even helping remotely. And I'm just like, maybe medications is not the answer for me. And so then I actually went and so I went to a residential treatment center one, twice in my life. And once I was there, I had some friends that, you know, were struggling with like with depression too, and as debilitating as me. And they actually tried ketamine infu- infusions mm-hmm. for depression. It's kind of, it's a wild concept, but it actually can lift people's like severe depression that have more treatment resistant. 
and it works differently than medications. And I won't go into <laughs> explaining, like, <laughs> don't fully have any idea. But yeah, it actually can like work instantly. And within like 20 minutes, you can go from like having suicidal thoughts every single day to like not anymore. It's, it's so wild. Sure. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, maybe this is the answer. Cause like, I'm just done. Try- I was so done with medications and yeah. since it worked differently. And I was like, I'm willing to try anything because I just don't want to live like this because for me, it wasn't living, you know? Yeah. yeah so I tried ketamine infusions and those that did not work for me. And once that did not work, I pretty much was like, oh, okay, I'm done. I'm so tired of fighting. I can't do this anymore. I became so, so extremely suicidal and I didn't want to end my life, but I didn't want to live the the That's life I was living because it wasn't a life. So, so yeah, it became really hard. And I realized that like, as I kept on putting my hopes on medication after medication, it became so much harder to be like, okay, this one's going to work. Okay. That yeah. one didn't work. So this one, and it just like, it just completely dampened that like fire within me light to keep on going. And yeah. So once the ketamine infusions didn't work, I then tried what is called known as TMS, which is transcranial magnetic stimulation. It kind of works like ECT, but that also didn't, didn't work. And I was so, you know, I was so extremely depressed and like just went days and days without even talking and like, you know, being able to move. I was like essentially, um, yeah, in a catatonic state, honestly. And so then I would also, as everything didn't work. I was just like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired of fighting and every single effort I'm doing is not working. So I just like, what's the point even? And so, yeah. So then I became very suicidal again. And I started having these like physical urges within my body to literally act on suicide and intrusive images and everything. And it was just horrible, horrible. Yeah. And I basically also couldn't like remain safe. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to residential again and try to get like some type of stability and maybe my hope back because I literally had, didn't have it anymore. And when I was there, something actually kind of insane happened. My last day there, I er, like my last week there, my psychiatrist actually, well, I like went to my psychiatrist and I was like, I don't think medications are going to work for me. So I, you know, don't think you're going to be able to help me, but you know, I guess whatever, we'll see. So I was like, not optimistic. Obviously. Sure, understandable. Uh, but he was like, well, you know, Tara, I noticed in, you know, your a gene site testing, which is like how you find out of like medications, which medications work for you and everything. And he was like, I noticed you had a folate deficiency. And most people don't know this, but folate actually breaks down to serotonin. And mm-hmm. so, you know, he's like, I'm just theorizing here, but if your body, had, brain had the inability to create the serotonin it needed, maybe that's why antidepressants couldn't work for you. And I was like, what? what? Okay, that makes sense. But like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And so he, he started me on a folate pill. Like, well, first, when I first got there, he started me on a folate pill. But then the last week, nothing was helping. My depression was still as severe as it was and so he's like okay i'm actually going to give you the broken down version which is known as l-methylfolate and i'm not even exaggerating within five days my depression lifted almost completely Hmm. and i was able to talk and laugh and smile and literally feel again and it was so wild but i was so so excited and excited and just like i couldn't believe it it was truly Mm -hmm. a miracle 
And I was like, I've literally been given a second chance at life at this point. Yeah, it was amazing. And I left residential and everyone was like, oh my God, we can recognize you again. Like your spirit, like everything is there that wasn't there before. before, Yeah. Yeah. And that lasted, unfortunately, only two weeks because two weeks later, I was then diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And with complex PTSD, I started having these episodes where my body went into complete paralysis. So I would go from like any position standing to sitting and collapse into a paralysis state. And the body does this actually as an effort to survive. Sure, Um, It's like the play dead response in possums. That's basically essentially what my body does. And these episodes could last up to an hour, started happening every single day and up to three times a day. This podcast is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy is something that should be taken seriously. And while this may be another sponsored ad, my relationship with BetterHelp is personal because for the past year, I've been using BetterHelp to gain my own mental clarity. I can sit here all day and tell you to seek help, but the truth is, we're in this together. In the end, without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is, therapy works. What is therapy exactly? Well, it's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now, like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships. Or simply not dealing with stress very well. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed or scared of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. Join the millions of people, myself included, who are seeing what online therapy is really about. This, it's always a good time to invest in yourself because you're your greatest asset. As a special offer to listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash fragile moments. That's betterhelp.com slash fragile moment. And remember, just because you need help doesn't mean you're not worth helping. The Lion King reminds us that we all hold assumptions about the nature of life in the universe. To some, the world resembles the circle of life that Mufasa, Marcus Aurelius, and other Stoics portray. To others, the world is closer to the meaningless existence posited by thinkers such as Timon, Pumbaa, Sartre, and Camus. The movie does not and cannot answer this ageless question, but it can force us to reckon with our assumptions and, through such exercise, help us live a more examined life. Let's go back to Sarah's story and see where her life and the examination of it has taken her. So once again, I was unable to function, unable to live the life I wanted to live and was more honestly in a state of paralysis than I was even able to function. So I then became again very suicidal because I was like, okay, I'm seriously done. Like I just survived the fight of my life. How the hell do I manage to do this when like most it's also very rare this trauma response and also with it I discovered why my depression had to be so debilitating and that was because I found out in 2011 2010 so a year before my depression started I was actually raped in high school 
So, so with that real, with that realization and these paralysis episodes happening, I was just like, I, I, I don't know what to do anymore. Like I literally, I'm just so exhausted. And, and like, like I said, not many professionals even knew how, how to help it or even see it before. And it was just, it, it wasn't living again. And so I'm just like, I, I, I can't do this anymore. And as I was like moments away from attempting, I, I thought to myself and I was like, okay, you really only have two options at this point. One is you do end your life. I mean, I'm so tired of fighting. I don't, I didn't even think I had a fight left in me anymore. But then option two was the idea that I was like, okay, well, what if all, you know, all of my effort and all these years eventually somehow in some way, whatever it is, I did figure out how to still live, you know, a meaningful and purposeful life and Mm -hmm. things that I wanted. And maybe it's not exactly at all how I pictured it, but it still mattered enough and I could still live enough even with these challenges. I could then go to someone in the exact same state I'm in, the hopelessness and suicidal thoughts and all that, and be like, well, I'm literally living proof that it it does get better and it is possible to function even after a mental illness diagnosis. And this was something that was like strong enough to carry me through all my moments of being suicidal because I just wanted to kind of be that symbol of hope for people. If I could do it, then other people could. And so I obviously chose not to give up. And through working with my therapist over the last like three years and just doing a lot of like healing work and stuff like that, my paralysis episodes are only three times a month now. And about a year and a half ago, I found out about the RSS program. And so being a recovery support specialist was exactly what I always wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, share my story and be that symbol of hope for someone and know that like my pain can turn into like a profound purpose. So it, it's, it's, it's insane because <laughs> I didn't even think I could go back to school or if I did, what would I do? And now I'm literally doing exactly what I wanted and yeah. needed in that moment. And yeah, it, like I said, it's literally the most full circle <laughs> thing because yeah. I can now work with clients and everything and be like, you know, they can share that they don't have any hope. And I'm like, I, I get it. I know. I've been there. It makes yeah. sense. But yeah, but I'm still sitting here and maybe one day you can then sit, you know, opposite of me. Yeah. yeah. With someone. So, yeah. Well, first of all, we're glad that you chose this direction. Thank you. For sure. I have a lot of questions mm-hmm. just for my own, my own curiosity, but just mainly because I don't understand a lot of mm-hmm. it. And I'm sure a lot of people don't. And that's, that's why I, I don't enjoy is a terrible word for this, no. but enjoy this. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> starting, starting with though, like, how do you, and maybe you don't fully, you know, grasp it just yet either, but how do you, how does your body, how does your mind forget something so traumatic and what's the, what is it? What have you, what have you come to understand? Maybe I should say it like that. What have you come to understand about yeah. your mind and your body when it has such a traumatic event that pushed all this for like a better term, you know, pushed all that aside, but then yeah. caused this chaos, uh, you know, on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, I don't know if people have heard the term, but I know that it's getting more wor- heard, but the body really does keep the score. The mm-hmm. body really does internally hold that trauma. 
And trauma really is, isn't what happened to you. It's what happens inside you. And so when a traumatic event like that can happen, especially if you're, you know, more in like the younger mind, it becomes so overwhelming to our nervous system. And so our brain just kind of then will shut down. And in some cases, it will go into the paralysis episodes like, you know, I described. And essentially, our nervous system has three states. We have safety and connection, fight or flight, which is what most people know of. And then there's freezer shutdown. And the freezer shutdown is then the state where like all the thinking and emotion piece literally goes offline. And the only part of the brain is the reptilian brain, which like controls your autonomic nervous system. So like breathing and stuff like that. And so when the nervous system is so overwhelmed because of trauma, you know, the shock, the fear, all that, you know, it it then can actually completely turn off and your body then can go into that play dead response. And so in, from my understanding that when, you know, what happened to me happened to me, I did go into a paralysis state. And so that's when my body, my brain was like, okay, we can't handle, we can't handle this. We literally, it is too much for our nervous system to handle and for ourselves to wrap our head around. So it's going to completely suppress it. And the way it kind of did suppress it was also then creating the depression that was so debilitating and strong because my body was like, hey, look, we, we, we know what happened. We got to deal with this. Like, this isn't okay. Like what, you know, but the brain is like, no, it's, it's the protective piece. You know, it's like, no, we can't, we cannot grasp this. We cannot handle this. So in whatever way over the years, as my body kind of was like screaming to be heard, my depression was like, nope, we're just going to numb you out completely. You you can't feel because if you do feel, this you know, yeah. And I had anxiety over the years, more like social anxiety, which was so much more broad. But as I closely learned what happened to me, my, my the anxiety made me co- became more localized and not just about like, me, you know, people in a room. It was more right. somewhat like with like men or certain things. And so it really was kind of wild that there were so many responses over the years yeah. my body was trying to tell me what was going on and I it just couldn't grasp it so mm. when my depression then lifted my body was able to be like oh my god okay well this is what happened and so I started having also these what is known as like somatic flashbacks and it's basically like a body flashback so you feel what your trauma is through the body there's also emotion ones and there's, you know, visual, which is most what people know of flashbacks. Right. And you can also get them all together. But sometimes those become like not as integrated and they come separate. And that's what happened to me. So first was like kind of the body flashback. And so it was the body kind of telling me what happened. And then over some course of the months, as I was like processing and talking about it, you know, with their in therapy and stuff like that, I started getting then visuals. And so then those visuals was kind of that. It was me like kind of realizing like, oh, that's a piece of that's the puzzle piece, like yeah. that. Like I knew what happened, but I couldn't fully remember it. But it was like, I know because of my body saying it. And then it was those visuals. And so then over the, like the last three years, those I've had like emotion flashbacks, visual and somatic, and then sometimes all three. But it was but it was also kind of fascinating because I realized that my brain literally was like, we can't handle all the pieces integrated together. Yeah. It's just far too much. Yeah. So we're just going to right now only deal with the emotion. And that's yeah. fucking hell. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. excuse my language. But yeah. <laughs> but yes. And then it was like the visuals. And then so, yeah. And then over the years, it has kind of all come together. Yeah. It's 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 pretty wild. <laughs> it is. And it, I mean, it just I mean, 
so many times, right? You hear people, you know, tell their story and it's like, what, 10 years? Like, wait, why, why were you waiting so long? And like, you wish yeah. people understood. And we don't fully understand it yet either, right? right. I mean, there's so, so much to unpack, but, mm-hmm. you know, you wish that people, most people heard that kind of thing more often than it would make sense because it's like, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not that I necessarily didn't want to. That's part of it. I mean, my right. body shut it down. My mind was like, nah, exactly. I'm going to hold on to this because I don't want this to all make you fall apart. Yeah. Um, yeah. And unravel. And, and it makes time. sense that it would be too, you know, too much yeah. for us to like comprehend. And yeah, because that stuff shouldn't happen. It does, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So as you, you go along and, and, you know, you're, you're, I don't want to say like trying all these things. I think the other th- thing that most people look at when it comes to like, you know, medications, and I could just see a, a, a doctor even like saying the same thing out loud or even in their head. It's like, well, you didn't even give it a chance or, you, you know, like, what, what do you mean? Didn't work. You know, like it's supposed to work, you know, all those kind of things. And then just yeah. the, the everyday Joe looking at it like, well, you know, medications, you know, you could two sides of that story, right? People are like, I don't believe in medication. Of course it didn't work. And other people saying exactly similar, like the doctor would say, like, what do you mean? Like a week? Like that's not even anything when it comes, you know, shoot, when you talk about just talking vitamins, they tell you almost like two months. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't got to spend this money again. So how do you, how did you manage that piece along the way? Not even just like the mental part of going, this didn't work again, but like physically having to have that conversation. And then, you know, and then, and then on top of that, like mentally, like preparing yourself that, well, here we go again over and over and over years after years? Yeah, that's a really good question. I I also experienced since I was on so many different medications and like a bunch of sometimes all at once, I experienced some really intense flashbacks. Sure. Or like not flashbacks, excuse me, side effects. And like some, like one, I was even on one, which was actually, it was a medication, it was a patch. And that also created uh, hallucinations at one point. And so it just, I mean, it was just an array of so many different ones. but. I did know for such a, you know, huge piece, you know, friends are like, you know, just people in general, you hear that medications really can help so much with depression and, you know, and, and with mental illness, like management and stuff like that. And I, I know also people who like, you know, take one or three and then that's like the magic one for them. So right. I think that was just me kind of like desperately, like wanting to find yeah. which one would work. And, and I was like, and I, and I knew that it was like, it wasn't also like a mindset thing. Like I literally, which I think some people could see like, you know, is your depression like more situational or something like that. And for me, and even like sometimes you, like, you know, therapists would kind of just be like, well, what were you thinking of them in the moment? I'm like, no, like you don't understand. Like I literally wake up with this such heaviness feeling yeah. physically in my body. So my depression manifested very much physically too, which makes sense now if you all look back on it right and it was like this such heaviness that felt like it was like literally weighing me down almost like as if every ounce of earth's gravity was like pushing and forcing me down and so it just it wasn't anything that was like you know that i was thinking that kind of created and manifested this depression it was like i literally the instant i woke up i felt it it was and you know yeah and so that's why I was like, okay, well, since it's so physical, maybe then it would make mo- the most sense well, that medications sense, yeah. and, you know, switching things up in that way would help it so much. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I mean, part of that is, I don't want to say like, that's like, that's part of the process, but it can mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, even just, you know, take away, you know, if you want to just, if you're not a, a fan, if you're not a believer of like, you know, 
you know, mental illness, mental health altogether. Like get as yeah. a thing when it even just for talking about like physical ailments, like exactly this worked for you, but it may not be for, for me, you know, your bodies are mm-hmm. different. And so it stands to reason that your mind is too, but yeah. how do you, how do you speak to somebody that, you know, may look at that lens of, you know, having all these like trials and errors and be like, well, these doctors just don't understand, you know, versus the mentality that you really is hard to do, but you know, should get to is the fact that everything, no matter how long you've been, you know, used to a disease, an illness, whatever, mm-hmm. it, it, there's always some variable that's going to sneak up on you. Like we don't know anything about that. So of course you're going to have these, you know, back and forth and finally finding, it's not that the doctor previous necessarily didn't know what they were doing. Right. But you have somebody new that like can figure it out. So how do you, how do you work through that? And then what do you tell somebody that, you know, might come to you and be like, Hey, I'm done. I'm done. And you get them to like, hold on a second, hear this. Yeah. It, it, it's hard because it is so defeating. It's such a, you know, such a defeating process. I, I think for me, I just kept on, you know, kind of thinking of the goal and picturing, keep on keeping the image of my life that when things get better, what will that look like? And kind of, you know, anchoring to that. And so that was very much where I was. And I've also kind of been always like a person like, okay, that didn't work. We're just going to try another one. And just, I've always kind of had that. Also, I've had that kind of like stubbornness of just like, okay, well, I'm going to, eventually I'm going to get through this because I don't want anyone telling me or anything to keep me from living the life I wanted to live, you know? So yeah, it is, but it's very much like an internal battle that you definitely have to go through. And Losing that hope is one of the most difficult pieces, I think. And I, and I definitely know, I definitely know that it happens because obviously it happened to me. And so I remember when I was working, uh, cause I had to do two internships for my RSS program. And one of my clients was like, like, I can't do this anymore. I don't even have hope anymore. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I was like, it makes sense that you don't have hope anymore. Mm-hmm. Like after everything you've been through and sure. how defeating life has been, that's completely understandable. Yeah. I've been there. And so I was like, so you know what? You don't have to have that. But for me and everyone else here, we'll hold that hope until you can again. And and I think, and I had some people in my life kind of say similar and it was like when even when I got to a point where I was like done, they were still willing, to, you know, to ha- so having that support piece and also having a therapist who was absolutely incredible and has been convinced in some way, in some shape or form, I would get through this and figure it out. And that like, you know, he stuck along with me through that journey. Yeah, I think that's a huge piece, too, even when you first don't even when, when you lose that hope within yourself yeah. for things to get better, because that trial and error process is so exhausting yeah yeah but yeah it it is it is challenging because sometimes it's kind of like speak you but you do realize how much resilience you have within you when you realize how much you can still keep going even without hope yeah you know as long as you have other people holding it for you or support systems or anything like that like i think that that really i think that really that that makes all the difference so now that you've come, you know, full circle, as you said, and then, you know, just kind of insane uh, to use your words there to, to be where you are. What's mm-hmm. the, what is the most like unbelievable part that you've discovered about yourself along this process to be able to stand there, sit there, whatever it is to share this, this kind of a story? What's been the most unbelievable part that you've learned? Yeah. 
I think personally for me is whenever people say like your, your stories is so inspiring and that like you're an, people telling me that I'm an inspiration. I have heard it before. And every single time I'm just like, well, that's kind of wild. And I think I see it slightly differently where like I, I don't see myself as inspiration. I can see myself as inspiring, but I think that that kind of it, it I think the inspiration comes from like internally with everyone, like everyone has that resilience and that capability to keep going. I think humans are just innately strong in that way. So it's almost like hearing my story then sparks that inspiration within them. So like, yeah, I could be inspiring, but they still find it. You know, they still find that willingness to keep going. And I've had some people that have, because I've shared my story online a lot. I'm like big on social media and stuff. And I've had some people that said like, because of you, I didn't get up, give up. And I'm like, well, I might have helped you, you know, get through those moments. But in the end, you, you, you did, did it. it. Like you did yeah. the hard work just as I did. And but it is really wild to hear people, yeah. you know, because I'm just I'm like, I don't this is just my story. Like, like I, you know, and some people are like, how did you do it? A lot of people ask that. And I'm like, how did I do it? You know, it is hard to like look back on it. Yeah. But it, it's such like it's it's literally one of the most honor and a privilege to hear others share their difficulty and you know they that they do get inspired and they do even just the sense of like that they're not alone like just hearing what i have to say and knowing that like okay there's some comfort in like i'm not the only one going through this and that's just like the biggest piece i think ever to have a you know when we are struggling because it's like when you're feeling alone and like no one else is going through it even as rare as it can be even you know with my paralysis episodes or whatever you know hearing someone be like i've been there in one way shape or form or i've you know thought the ways things are i've gotten to that defeated place and hopeless place and it's like you know together you have that unity and you feel like okay well i can do this if i'm not the only one you know so yeah i i honestly think that and also the fact that as as an RSS, the people are willing to feel that I'm a safe person to share yeah. with, and you know that they 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 just en- enjoy talking to me, and it's like that honor and privilege that I get to walk that journey, some part of it, and so it's like we're all kind of chapters in each other's stories, and that's a really powerful thing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> What's Your Story is hosted, produced, and edited by me, JD. Thanks to Tara for the strength and her vulnerability. Telling a deeply personal story such as this is cathartic and healing, but it's also quite challenging and difficult to do. The Storyteller Project produces an audience-supported publication with this stellar podcast, stories that connect and heal us as human beings, and well-researched articles on challenging but crucial mental health topics. If you love our work, please join our community of curious minds and venture into a broader realm of human connectedness. Head over to fragilemoments.substack.com to learn more about this storytelling project. If there's something that resonated with you in today's episode, let me know by sending an email to jd at fragilemoments.org or simply tag at storysharingpod on Instagram and threads. Thanks for choosing to listen. And I look forward to hearing your story one day in the new year, because we all have within us a story to tell, a song yet unsung.